This is an excerpt from Fukushima Dreams by Zelda Riando. Chapter 6 There were a surprising amount of children in the refuge centre. Sachiko wondered why she hadn't noticed before how many children there were in Taro. But then she hadn't really ever taken part in the community of the place. Now their cries sounded from behind partitions. They had nowhere to play. Everyone was afraid of nuclear contamination from the shattered reactors at Fukushima Power Plant. So there were constantly children underfoot, playing complicated games of chase and hide. Sachiko concentrated on trying to remember Tashi. It was like he was receding into a haze, and she couldn't quite bring his features to mind. What could she remember about him? He'd just learned to roll over. When she cleaned him, rubbing his smooth skin with almond oil, she found a strange waxy substance in the folds of his skin. Beneath his chin, in the creases at the top of his thighs. He wasn't a chubby baby. It had taken him three months to grow into his newborn clothes. His skin was waxy pale, and his eyes too round for pure Japanese. You could see the European in him. His wispy black hair had a curl to it that echoed Harry's. He had never smiled. When they weren't creased in a face red with screaming, his eyes were a milky blue, like all newborns. Now she would never know what colour they would have been. She had no photographs of him. She hadn't sent any to her parents when he was born. And why not? What had happened to her relationship with her parents? What broke the filial bond? At some point, her parents and all they stood for had come to seem monstrous to her. Was it their politics? Of course, they were conservative to the core, but Sachiko had never been political. At university, she'd mostly focused on her studies and ignored the feminists and socialists and anything else with a whiff of the radical. She had met Harry at a party thrown by the English faculty. She'd been in her early twenties, at the end of her course. After that first encounter, they'd met for coffee, gone to see films together, listened to bands and smoky bars. Harry was funny, always mocking, full of sly jokes about the apparent contradictions of Japan. Under his influence, her fellow Japanese began to seem insular and repressed, old-fashioned and narrow-minded. Now it seemed that those years had been her loss. She'd become a foreigner in her own country, an alien to the people around her. For the first time, she'd looked at her world, which had seemed normal to her and was stifled by it. Harry was a breath of fresh air. They'd been to Nijo Castle together to see the palace there, and rather than being overawed by the huge wooden structure, the intricately painted screens that adorned the walls inside, the cunningly constructed nightingale floorboards that were designed to play tunes if anyone tried to sneak along them. Harry spent the time cracking jokes about the paranoia of the builders. They needed the nightingale boards because the walls were so easy to climb, etc. He was particularly scathing about the signs in English, Chinese and Korean that covered practically every surface. Don't touch the screens, no cameras, don't walk on the grass. And after a while, even Sachiko, who had grown up with an excess of pedagogical signage, had begun to feel hemmed in by the constant invective, walk, don't walk. 
In fact, she should have pointed out to Harry that all those many signs were to prevent foreigners from damaging the palace. The rules for Japanese people were unwritten. The habit of respect so ingrained it didn't need to be exhorted. At the time, she'd been only too ready to repudiate her own people. But the kindness that she met every day in Taro, being cut suddenly adrift from her whole life, had caused her to reevaluate what she had with Harry. Maybe she should have defended her culture from his systematic attack. Then perhaps he wouldn't have exerted such a strong control over her during the ten years that they were together. He'd become increasingly bitter as the decade wore on. In retrospect, Sachiko wondered what had kept Harry in Japan for all these years. He'd never suggested that they move back to England together. There was his writing, of course, but he'd always been strangely secretive about that. She knew he was working on a book, but not whether it was fact or fiction. He would never let her see his work, and in fact would become terrifyingly angry if he thought she was prying. The one time he really, she really thought he would hit her it was when she was about seven months pregnant with Tashi, and they'd been moving into the new place in Taro. She'd been unpacking one of the boxes marked Harry Writing. She'd idly picked up a notebook positioned at the top of the box and was scanning through it when she became aware that Harry was standing behind her. He'd been breathing heavily. She turned around, the black notebook, the same type he always used, closed, with a finger automatically placed to mark her page. What do you think you're doing? Sachiko had got a terrible fright, but she kept her voice level. Unpacking your things, of course. His gaze fell to her hands, the notebook, and his eyes narrowed. He snatched it from her suddenly nerveless fingers. She'd loved his height, the sheer size of him, but now with his dark frame towering over her, the rage in his voice, she felt threatened. Automatically, she crossed her arms over her belly, subconsciously protecting the baby inside. How dare you nose through my private notebooks? You know I hate you reading that stuff. It's not ready yet. I'm sorry. I was just curious. You never let me see your work. You wouldn't understand it. There was a time that you liked reading to me. Harry wouldn't meet her eye. He grabbed the box hefting its weight like it was a feather in the heat of his anger. He shoved the notebook in on top of all the others and firmly closed the lid. It's private. Here's a tip for you. Any boxes with my name on them can stay packed until I'm good and ready to get to them, and you're to keep your nose out, all right? His chin thrust out, challenging her. But Sachiko didn't have the energy to pick up this particular gauntlet. She bowed her head obediently, and left the apartment with a muttered excuse about greens for dinner. She couldn't remember when he had got so strange and secretive. It was part of everything that had gone wrong. That was a free extract from Fukushima Dreams, currently funding on unbound.co.uk. This book needs your support to get into bookshops. If you enjoyed this chapter, please fund it.